Well, praise the Lord again. Hey, I want to ask you a question. I, I want to talk to you today about taking back what is yours. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been the victim of theft? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been a victim of theft? And, and, and when, you're, uh, when you're struggling with the idea that somebody has invaded your space, your territory, somebody has come in and taken something from you. I remember when I was uh, younger, I had an old Volkswagen Beetle. And I think anybody that, that you know, remembers the 70s at some point has been in or driven a Volkswagen Beetle. And I went out one morning, and somebody had stolen the stereo and the speakers and everything out of the car. Oh, I was upset. It felt horrible. In fact, it's one of the worst feelings that you can ever have when, when, when you know that somebody has taken something from you and has come into your space and your territory. One, when we were in California, we were preaching in, in multiple services, and in between the services, I, I went in and, uh, and, and into my office, came back out, went and preached a, a second time, and when I came back to my office, I discovered that somebody in between services had come in and gone through my office and had stolen my phone off my desk. And I thought, who would steal the pastor's phone? Now, they're going to get a lot of scripture on that phone. So maybe, maybe they enjoyed it. But you know, the thing is, I, the one thing that really bothered me about the car and the stereo being stolen and my phone being stolen was that I was negligent in both of them. You see, I'd forgotten to lock the car. Now, I locked the doors, but if you're familiar with a Volkswagen, the engine's in the back and the trunk is in the front. And I forgot to lock the trunk and they just opened it and crawled through and took my stereo. I forgot to lock my office. It was a, it's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling having something stolen from you. And I want to talk to you today about, about where we are as a church, not just us, but as a church in America, and, and what we can do about where we are and where we can go. We're going to be talking about uh, a story in, in 1 Samuel where in 1 Samuel 30 and 29 and 30, where David has been anointed king of Israel. The prophet Samuel has already spoke to him. He is already anointed king. Uh, in fact, God has already has a robe for him. God already has a crown for him. He is set. And yet Saul, which is the current king, which has been dethroned by God because God has said to him that, that you were not obedient, so therefore your family will not remain on the throne. Saul is seeking David's life. And David, David is running around Israel trying to avoid him and, and his men 400 men are trying to avoid 
King Saul. And he will not take King Saul's life because he knows that he was anointed of God. So David is just going around Israel trying to, to uh, get, keep his life and wait for the victory that God has promised him. And in the story in 1 Samuel 29 and 30, David has an opportunity to take Saul's life. Saul and all of his men are encamped and they're sleeping. And David and two others come in. They, they go into Saul's tent. And the Bible says that all of his guards were under a deep sleep. And David had an opportunity to be able to take his life, but he said, I'm not going to do it because he was chosen by God. But he stole his spear and, I believe, uh, his crown. And, and when, when the next morning, when they woke, uh, David began to call out to him and said, uh, and, and told him, I could have taken your life. I have your spear and I have your, your crown. And Saul said, okay, I'm not going to pursue you anymore. But David knew that Saul would eventually chase him down again. So, Saul, uh, so David makes a decision. And David says, I'm going to go live with the Philistines. I'm going to go live with the enemy. I'm going to go over because I know that Saul won't pursue me if I'm living with the enemy. And David makes a decision to go and live with the enemy. His motive was that he had a desire for an easier life because the scripture says David just got tired. You ever get tired? Not from age. You just ever get tired? You ever get tired of, of, of waiting on a promise or, or, or waiting on something to come through and you decide, I think I will take the easier path. David decided that he was just tired of trying to live up and trying to pursue uh, the promises of God. So he said, I think I'll just go live with the enemy. He didn't join the enemy. In fact, he deceived the enemy. But he kept, he said, I, I know that I will not be pursued over here. And perhaps I can just take a break until Saul is, is no longer king. And then I'll come back and fulfill the promises of God. I wonder sometimes if that's what's happened to the church in America. Did the American church decide to look like, act like the world around us because we just got tired of contending for the faith? Did we get tired of the fight for holiness and righteousness and for the souls of men and women. 
I will promise you that if you are in the fight, if you are contending for the faith, you will have opposition. If you're trying to live a holy life, if you're trying to live a righteous life, you will have contention. You will have adversity, and the adversary will try to track you down. And if you are a church that is bound and determined to bring souls into the kingdom of heaven, if your goal and your sole priority is to see men and women born into the kingdom of heaven and walk out from the world and look like Christ and act like Christ and talk like Christ and shed the things of the world and begin to walk in holiness, you will have opposition. Did the church in America decide to just go live with the enemy? In Africa in 1899, there were 8.7 million Christians. Today, there are 390 million Christians. And they project by the year 2025, it's going to be 600 million Christians. You're talking about a continent where being a Christian means separation. You're talking about a continent that, that professing Christ can mean losing your job, losing your career, losing your life. You're talking about a continent that, unlike us, that we have to work through all of our luxuries to get to Christ, Christ is their only luxury. And it's not just Africa. If you look down in Central America and South America, the gospel is growing and booming and thriving, but the goal is that we want to see the kingdom advance. And yet, when you look at the church in America, it seems like that there is a relationship with the seeker-friendly, and I said, and I'm just going to say it because this is what's in my heart. You can disagree. You can be wrong. I don't care. Um, but if you look at the seeker-friendly church, where the church decided some 20-plus years ago that if we start looking like the world, if we start talking like the world, and if we start talking about things that help us in our everyday life within church, and every once in a while we may talk about the cross of Christ, then, then we'll just kind of slowly get people in. And what's happened is church in America has declined, that there is no difference between the divorce rate in the world and the divorce rate in the church. There is no difference in the theology of the world and the theology of the church. Do you know that in recent polls that only 26% of Christians strongly believe that Satan exists? That means one out of every four people that profess Christianity truly believes that there is a devil. Who was it that said that the greatest uh, trick that the devil could do is to get everybody to believe that he doesn't exist? 46%. 46%. And this is a recent Barna poll. 
46% of Christians believe that Jesus was sinless. 46%. You say, what impact does that have? If Christ was not sinless, then he died in vain. Because God required a sinless sacrifice, a substitute for our sins. And if there is 56% of Christians, over, over the, uh, the 50%, over a majority that believe or don't know if Christ was sinless or not, where does that key let us believe in, in the church? What do we believe? The majority believe that Satan and the Holy Spirit are, are just examples and they don't really exist. The Bible says that in the last days that there will, in 2 Timothy 3, 5, they will say, well, they have a form of godliness, but we're going to deny the power of the church. We look like a church, we talk like a church, but where is the presence and power of the, present, of the Spirit of God? But here's the thing that I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about the negative things. I do want to help you understand this is where we are. But I do believe that there is hope. Because there is hope because we do not have to live in fear and despair. We can be victorious in this time. We can choose as an individual and as a church to realize that, that there are ways that, that we can live for God in righteousness and holiness. That we don't have to live defeated. We don't have to live a, a weak and anemic Christian life. That we can rise above it and we can see the presence and the power of God in our lives. In the passage of scripture, here's, here's David. He was going to go fight with the adversary. He was going to fight with the Philistines against the people that he was going to be leading in the future. And it was some of the Philistines that says, I don't trust him because when we get into battle, he's not going to fight against them. He's going to fight against us. So they sent him and his men back to where they were living, a place called Ziklag. And, and when they got there, they found that their, their city had been raided. And it had been burnt to the ground, and all of their possessions, and all of their family, their women and the children, had been taken captive. And they were so distressed, and they were so upset, that the men that were following David thought about picking up rocks and throwing them at him until he died. That's a pretty bad spot. That's a pretty bad position. That's a pretty bad situation where you know that you are the, the chosen leader of Israel and yet the, the men that have been following you are thinking about taking your life. And the scripture says David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But look at that last line. But David found strength in the Lord his God. The very first thing, if you really want to live for Christ, if you're really hungry and thirsty for the things of God, for the righteousness of God, is you have to find strength in the Lord. 
A return to God is the only way you or I or any of us will ever reclaim what the church has lost. What the church, the things that have been stolen from the church can be brought back. The things of the church can, can be flourishing within our congregation. We can see souls transformed. We can see lives changed. We can see the blessings and the healings of God. But the very first thing we have to do is we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. What does that mean? That means that we return to God and we start looking at God and we start seeing God as who he really is. I wonder, uh, perhaps David started thinking back about his former victories, about the lion that came and tried to take his father's sheep. And the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord was on David and he killed the lion and the bear that came after the sheep and he killed the bear. Or when he went to go visit his brothers that were fighting in battle and he said, why is everybody cowering to this giant? And he went out in the name of the Lord and defeated the giant. I wonder if he started looking back at all the former victories in his life and decided, if God is for me, who can be against me? I've been trying to do this on my own and in my own way, but now I'm going to return to God because he has always delivered, he has always set me free, he has always brought victory, and I can trust in him. See, remembering how great God has been in your life gives a rise to faith and confidence in God. Have you ever, have you ever had a, a giant problem in your life that looked like a giant mountain that you couldn't go around, you couldn't go through? There were no tunnels. It was an impossibility. It was just too great. It was too big. You couldn't defeat it if you wanted to. And yet, when you got to your knees in prayer, when you got over your own fear, when you got over your own anxiety, when you got over your own inability to conquer it, and you started praying, and you started seeking God, and you you started remembering all the things that God has done for you and all the blessings of God and how God uh, was able to split the Red Sea and God was able to bring the walls of Jericho down. When you started thinking about all the things of God and all the great things he's done in the past and all the things he's done in your life and God was exalted in your life, have you ever noticed that your problems just get smaller and smaller and smaller? See, because when we elevate God, we realize that we're not tackling the problem. God is tackling the problem. I've had mountains so big that, that, that they were impossible, but when I began to praise God, uh, they got so small I could just step right over them. How did that happen? You encourage yourself in the Lord. You remember that, that you can't accomplish anything without God. But you can do all things through Christ, which gives you strength. And here's the truth. The Bible says that David encouraged himself. That simply means no one else can do the encouraging but you. Your mama can't do it. They'll try. Dads can't do it. They may try. Your friends can't do it. Your pastor can't do it. There's nobody that can encourage you in the Lord other 
than you. If you really want something from God, you can't rely on somebody else's relationship with him to get it. You have to dig deep and get it yourself. You have to encourage yourself in the Lord. What does that mean? You have to get to the place. You have to focus on, on what, who God is and what he can do. Develop a relationship with God. Look at all the times he has blessed you and begin to thank him and praise him for all the good things that he has done in your life. And when, when that happens, then, then and only then will you be able to to be able to see God in his fullness. Paul and Silas, while they were beat up and, and, and in prison, the Bible says at the midnight hour, they began to pray and sing praises. And, and I know we've talked about this many times, but, but I, I know that if I was beat and I was thrown in prison, it would probably take me a few hours to wonder what in the world was going on. But somewhere in there, they decided that they were going to begin to encourage themselves in the Lord. And they began to sing praises. They began to worship the Lord. And when they began to worship the Lord, that's when God showed up. Perhaps you're here today or if you're watching online, perhaps there's a circumstance or situation in your life that you can't move around and you can't, can't go around. You can't go over. You can't go under. You can't go through. But I will promise you this. If you'll get to the place that you'll encourage yourself in the Lord, that's when the answer will come. See, exalting God and receiving encouragement leads to worship. And worship is just giving praise to God. Scripture says when David, he, he, said, he said to the, the priest, Abiathar, he said, he said, bring me the ephod. Now, the ephod was just a, a covering that the priest would wear, and it was a garment of praise. And they would wear it when they entered in. And they wanted to seek God. And they wanted an answer from God. They always wore the garment of praise. You see, in the, in the temple and, 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 in, and in, the, uh, tent, in the tent that, that David had or that uh, Moses had set up, when you walked in, you walked past you walked past the, al the altar which represented our offering for sin. But when you went into the holy place, over to the left was the candlestick. And over to the right was the, was the bread which represents the spirit of God and the word of God. But right in front of them, right in front of the veil, and behind that veil was the holiest of holies where the ark was, where the presence of God was. If a priest wanted to go in to the presence of God, he must walk past the, the, the candlestick and walk past the bread, and right in front was the altar of incense, which is representative of our praise. And if he wanted to get into the presence of God, 
You needed the Spirit of God and you needed the Word of God, but you needed the worship and praise God as well. And then you were able to walk into the very holiest of holies and, and into the very presence of God. But uh, there's many times in our lives that, that we'll go to the, the Spirit of God and we'll ask and we'll pray and we'll get to the Word of God and we'll trust in Him. But there is a missing component sometimes that we need the Spirit of God in our life and we must have the word of God in our life but if you're wanting a relationship with him you cannot bypass worship you have to be a worshiper of God see God speaks in the middle of worship when David began to worship and he inquired of the Lord the Lord gave him the answer can I ask you a question what are you seeking from the Lord? Are you seeking a relationship with Him? Are you seeking to walk away from the pain and suffering of life and be able to live victorious in Him? Are you just looking to, to have peace of mind that when you lay your head down at night, you know if the Lord would take you, you would be in a better place? I don't know what you're facing, but I do know this, that if you'll encourage yourself in the Lord and quit trying to, to figure things out on your own and you'll go to Him and you'll begin to worship Him, truly worship Him by surrendering everything there is in your life to Him, that's when you're going to get your answers. That's when you'll receive your victory. That's when you're going to receive that that. that, that knowledge that you need. It, it, it comes from the Lord when we decide to surrender everything to Him. It's always been that way. It will always be that way, for He is, as the Scripture says, the King of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And if we want something from Him, if we're seeking something from Him, it always comes when we encourage ourselves in the Lord and exalt Him and begin to praise Him. And praise is more than singing songs. Praise is surrendering everything there is in you to Him. That your life is His, your speech is His, your conduct is His, your character is His, and you don't care what other people think you say like Joshua as for me and my house we're going to serve the Lord if you want something from God you must as the book of Hebrews says believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him I'm going to ask our praise team to come back I'm not preaching very long today we had a short track. Paul, would you come and help me with communion on this side? And Jose, would you mind helping me over? Would you stand with me for a moment? Say, what is, what is communion? And how does it relate? How does it relate to getting the things back that, that has been stolen from us in our lives? Everything. 
Bible says that when we partake in communion, what we are doing is remembering what the Lord has done for us. We're remembering that he died, that he rose again, that he gave us the opportunity to have salvation through him. And it's a time of examination in our lives. The Bible says that we don't want to take communion unworthily. In other words, we don't want to just, if there's something in our life that, is, that we know that is hindering us from worshiping God, and we're harboring it in our hearts. You don't want to say, I'm going to take this communion, thank you, Lord, and try to hide that from him. But it does not mean that you have to be perfect to take communion. It means that you need to be honest, transparent with God. God's desire for you, for me, for this church, for the church in America, for the church around the world. is to have every spiritual blessing and every spiritual gift alive and well in our lives. It's not because he can't. It's not because he won't. It's because somewhere down the line, we have just allowed these things to be stolen from us. But the good news is we can get them back. You say, Pastor, why are you saying that? Because I have a passion in my heart to see everything that God has for us manifest all the time. I'm tired living an anemic life in Christ and I want to see the fullness of the presence and the power and the glory of God manifest every single day and I know it starts when we realize that things have been stolen from us whether it's our virtue whether it is our honesty, whether it's integrity, whether it, it, it's anything in this life personally, or we look around and say, why don't we see these things manifest in the church? It begins in the house of God when we realize some things have been stolen from us and what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the enemy's camp and we're going to take back what has been stolen from us and the way to do that is when we honor God and we say God we have done this Lord we have allowed this but today today is a day of transformation today is the day that we turn around today is the day that we encourage ourselves and you and we realize if God God is for us who can be against us if the Lord is with us then there is nothing that can stop us are you with me do you 
want to see God show up in amazing ways? Do you want to see God reveal himself as, as healer, as deliverer, as the one that, that is worthy? Do you want to see him fill people with his spirit to overflowing? Then we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord and allow the Lord to be strong and courageous in us. I don't know why I need to feel like saying this, whether you're online or here, but if you've been struggling to live a, a, a life for the Lord and you keep faltering and you keep struggling and there's an inward battle going on in you and there's things that you want to do, but, but you seem like you just keep falling and you, and you keep falling short and you feel guilty and you feel bad and you keep feeling uh, like, like nothing is working for you. Can I encourage you today? That is the devil trying to destroy you because the reality is you say, I can't do it on my own. You are absolutely right. That's the $64,000 question and answer. When you understand that I cannot live for God on my own, I cannot do it on my own, but when I begin to magnify Him and allow Him to do the work, He can transform us. I don't know what you're battling with. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. If you'll be honest with God right now, right where you are, I wonder if we could just talk to God for a moment. <coughs> Whatever it is, give it to Him right now. And say, Lord, I'm yours. And you begin to lift Him up. And when we take communion, that you would take it as a pledge, as a vow between you and God. That, Lord, I'm not perfect. But it's not about my perfection, but I trust in you. And today, I exalt you above my failures. I exalt you above my circumstances. I exalt you above all the things in this world. And the person that I want to be is found in you and you alone. So I come. And I come. Because you are worthy.